What is going on? My name is Michael Hacker, and this is the Hacker Outdoors podcast. This is episode number one, Man in a Boat, with tournament angler and all-around good guy, Joey McCormick. We split this conversation into two parts, with the second part being posted next week. I do hope you enjoy this as much as we did recording it, and without further ado, let's jump right in it. Joey, thanks for joining us today, man. Anytime, Mike. Appreciate it. I was thinking, um, I, I was at the supermarket earlier and I was cracking up. I'm, I'm driving there and I look over at the car next to me and this guy's wearing a face mask and all alone in the car. And it was funny. It reminded me of the early days of this whole situation, right? And um, kind of no one wanted to leave the house, even going out the wilds of the, you know, <laughs> the wilds of their neighborhoods or go for walks. And um, I remember posting a story on my Instagram because I, I've never stopped going outside and you know, I never stopped doing the things that I loved anyway, um, outside of jujitsu for the most part. Um, and I posted a story about me fishing and I was doing trout fishing in some small streams just to kind of stay away from the crowds. Cause I hate them to begin with uh, nothing to really do with COVID or anything. And someone responded to my story and goes, you know, how dare you, you need to think about people and, you know, worry about other people. And it's very selfish of you to be out there fishing. You know, so, like I was all alone, probably <laughs> 10 square miles, no one else anywhere near this stream. And, um, I had probably the best spring and summer in my fishing life. And I've never had fishing conditions like this before. So I want to talk to you a little bit about fishing and, you know, what it is you've been up to, what it is you do. And, you know, we tell, I guess, a few stories to us about your life on the tournaments circuit and, um, if you want to kick it off, you know, give us a little bit about your background. Yep. Well, Joe McCormick, Mike's cousin, Joey, Joseph, whatever you want to call me as. Um, what, about a year ago, I started fishing the FLW BFLs and the ABAs, the American Bass Angler Association. Um, been fishing pretty much my whole life. Um, and that's pretty much all I do right now is fish. That's kind of the like, dream though, right? Yeah, just like you, the spring here, all our, you know, I live by a reservoir that's a couple minutes, you know, from my house, maybe two minutes, you know, they wouldn't open up because of COVID. So, you know, that's the main place I fish because it's so close or I'll fish the Potomac or the upper Chesapeake. But um, I couldn't get out in the reservoir. They would not open it to people, you know, because the fish could get COVID, I guess. And uh, yeah. we miss the spring, which is usually, you know, the spawn time, and the great time to fish. And, yeah. That's when the bass are the biggest and, you know, they're on their beds. You know, we, we missed all that. Um, and unfortunately, what, what ended up happening when they did open, you know, these reservoirs and stuff, they were so packed with people because, you know, they weren't working. People who never fished before, the reservoir would maybe have 30 to 100 people come through a day, 100 if at the most, and, you know, went from that to 600. Uh, just really clogged the smaller bodies of water up with everybody being off work. But yeah it is what it is and we saw that too right so you know yeah. i was a man man with a boat this year as um as i like to put it right you you kind of egged me on to to get something and uh donna and i bought a, a used canoe um it was very hard to come by and it's my first time really doing boating fishing on my own regardless of what the vessel would be and uh, it was amazing going to some of these lakes here in new jersey and, and just just crowds of people and day, day trippers, 
people that yeah. were just out there sunbathing and like trying to, I guess, enjoy nature in some way, shape or form, which is good in a way, but, um, you know, pleasure boaters and those right. pleasure campers out there, mm-hmm. you know, just crowds the waters. And- <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So we'll come back to that, I think, but so tell us a little bit about how you got into fishing, um, you know, specifically bass fishing and, Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the tour. So growing up, I, I don't know if a lot of people remember, you know, I'm 39, um, born in 1981. Back in the late 80s, you know, early 90s, I, I believe it was ESPN2 on Saturday mornings would have fishing shows on, like Bill Dance or <sighs> so on and so on. And I, gr- I grew up watching those really wanting to, to fish. And at that time, we didn't have the internet in, in where I live, you know, I had no idea how you became a tournament angler, or let alone a pro angler. Um, that was more down south. You know, people I spoke to or I speak to who live down there, that's just something they grow up fishing local tournaments and, and things like that. Um, my father owned a business and was very busy, and he wasn't really a, a fisherman. You know, he never, you know, he was really into it. So uh, he would take me out when he could, but um, I guess what, early teens, my, my, my aunt married a gentleman named Ron, and they live up in uh, northwestern Pennsylvania on the Allegheny, and, and he was a big-time fisherman up there, and he really expanded my knowledge and, and, and grew my love for it, um, especially the smallmouth fishing, and showed me a lot of the stuff I still use today. And, and from there, just... It grew, um, and then, I don't know, about three, four years ago, my buddy Brennan, he fishes the BFLs down in South Carolina, and he told me about them, and then that was really the first time I knew that that existed, that, that BFL circuit for guys who were trying to enter, you know, the fishing scene, um, and I held off a little bit, you know, I, I probably should have started earlier, and then, um, Last year, I entered two tournaments, and I, I'm immediately addicted. Yeah. And it, it's just grown from there. It's something, once you fish your first tournament, it, it just gets in your blood, and, and that's all you want to do. I mean, yeah. you're fishing, which is something you love, and then you add that competitive nature to it. it it's, it's just insane. It's hard to describe. Um, you know, our season right now is, is, is done in the Northeast for the BFLs, and I'm chomping at the bit to, you know, to start again. Um, now, if you wanted to, could you travel um, to different areas? Yeah, so, you know, th- there's a Toyota series, which I think I'm going to enter a couple of events, the Southern series this year. Um, I-, I think they start in January in Florida. I think the first one's on Toho, if I'm correct. And I- I'm, I'm going to enter a couple of those. Um, there's a little bit of travel, but I- I'm going to do it. Um, I have a smaller tournament, an open tournament. I'm going to fish up here in about a week or so. Um, just like a local club, you have open tournaments, um, which will be fun. But I, I do plan on fishing down south this summer. I mean, the, this this winter. Yeah. And, um, I found it interesting. You, you, you had brought it to my attention. I knew, just like you, we're about the same age, right? We grew up together. We didn't really fish growing up when we were together. I mean, we would go down to your stream down the street from you and pick up crawfish and crayfish, whatever the heck they were. And and that was the extent of it. Um, I, you know, I fished with my grandfather growing up on my father's side and that was always ocean fishing. Never really did um, 
you know, lake and river fishing, except sporadically when we were camping. And I was never really good at it. Um, but you opened my eyes to a whole new way of fishing. And I've kind of taken that and I mashed it. I'm a big fly fisherman, as you know, and you love to make fun of me for that. Um, <laughs> but it is incredibly fun to catch smallmouth bass. And it's something that I, you know, I don't know. It's like, it, growing up, it was, you never heard about people fishing for bass. It was always, you know, specific fish in the ocean. You know, you heard about people doing, you know, shark fishing or, you know, um, marlin fishing and sail fishing that way, but never anything else. And um, it was kind of cool to see that, that it's evolved. I mean, you, you came up here and fished with me a couple of times and uh, New Jersey is spectacular for fishing, in, in my opinion, and anything outdoors. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. New Jersey, you know, they, they think New Jersey, they think, you know. <laughs> hey, Ranger. Yeah, they, you know, they think New York City, you know, they think real urban. They don't realize, you know, there's a lot of lakes up there. And it's real pretty, you know, out there in the Northwest and even down south, you know. I know Mike Iconelli, he, he lives near Jersey, I think, over the Pennsylvania side and fish Jersey a lot. It just, yeah. A lot of people don't realize how much nature is in Jersey. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and one thing, too, you know, I, I wanted to touch on before we got into kind of fishing stories. You, so I was unaware that you could be in a tournament and not have a boat. So I think that's like the big, the big gap for people, right, with, you know, when you talk about wealth distribution and fishing tends to be, you know, especially tournament fishing, like you have to have money in order to get into tournament fishing. But I was unaware that you didn't have to have a boat. Um, can you kind of explain that a little bit? So the past year, you know, I, I'm co-angling. So um, the way it works in a tournament, you know, 150 boats, let's say, and each boat has the boater and the co. Yeah. Um, the boaters compete against the other boaters and the co-anglers compete against other co-anglers. You know, I entered as a co-angler, kind of get to get a lay of the land and learn these bodies of water that I don't I don't know would have no experience on. But a lot of guys start as a co, because um, like you said, a bass boat is not a small price. You know, you're talking fifty grand on up. To, yeah. to get, I'm sure you can find an older used one for less, but most of the guys out there, you know, they have at least fifty grand into their boats. And that that's tough for a lot of people. Um, yeah. That's a big commitment. So I, I definitely think if you want to try tournament England, you know, the best part is to, to start as a co and, and, and see how you like it. Because, you know, once you step up to the world of the boater, it's even a larger commitment for the boater because they get there, you know, seven days early, practice, you know, get their spots, you know, map the water. It's a big commitment um, to go boater and a good bit of money's involved, but, um, a lot of guys will team up and, you know, travel together to split the travel expense costs and, and that helps. But yeah, the yeah, so angler side, like you said, that's something I, I, I didn't know existed um, until my buddy told me, um, and it's great. You know, it, it, it can be tough sometimes cause you're fishing from the back of the boat, but you know, if you're a good fisherman and you know what you're doing, I mean, you can catch and, and do well no yeah you know i've been well, obviously you're my cousin so we, we talk almost every time you have a tournament and anytime we go fishing um but you know from your instagram page which we can link to at the bottom 
um, you know, saw a little bit about what your life on the tour was. And I looked at some of the way way ins and, um, I got to see it from a whole nother angle and it was intrigued me. And I don't think I'd ever want to do a tournament necessarily. I don't think that's the type of fishing I, I enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, plus I might hulk out on someone if, you know, they, you know, try to me like some of the stories you've told me. Um, but so you've dealt with some interesting situations and I, I think it's funny that, um, a lot of your, uh, we'll call them cohorts or, you know, fellow anglers in the, in the tournament, you, you all kind of got close. And it's, it's interesting that there's this kind of camaraderie that exists among these bass fishermen and, and yourself. Um, so do you have any like funny stories that you could tell um, just about, you know, life on the tour, so to speak, or like life at the tournament, what, what a day is like when you're there? Well, it can be very humbling, you know, <clears throat> one of the things is, I always say that, you know, you'll hear guys say they have a great practice, you know, they're there for five days, seven days, and they have a great practice and they're all on fish and then come tournament day, there's fish are gone. And then, you know, you'll have the boaters who say, I've been here for a week. It's been terrible. I haven't caught anything. And you guys will go out there tournament day and smack them. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's definitely humbling. Um, but the camaraderie is, is, is really there. Everybody I've met so far has been nothing but great, amazing guys, um, women too, fish it. And um, really, we're all out there, you know, for each other. And it's just, the, it's, it's, it's hard to explain the camaraderie ship or how do you say that word? Um, yeah. It's just, you know, the guys are there for you. Yeah. Like I said, everybody I've met has been just awesome and, and, and great. And I've made some good friends along the way. And it's a, Funny stories, not too many, because when you know once tournament day comes, you're you're both out there just yeah. plugging away. You know, say takeoffs at seven or six thirty, and you're due back in at two thirty. That that time flies like that. Yeah. How many times mind, would you say you cast in a given day, or how many throughout the tournament, and how many times are you changing? So I, this is something that I found interesting. Is you know, I've always only had one rod. And, you know, I guess it's perks of growing up. Uh, it makes life easier, you know, not to second guess yourself. But you know, so with tournaments, like I'll, I'll go back and study past tournaments um, and kind of see what people did in the past. Not so much the year before or the week before, but several years back and um, kind of build on that. Um, I take so the codes, I think the limit for rods to say Kogan takes eight. The boaters have all their rod lockers filled with 20, 30, 40 rods, all rigged, ready to go. And they'll probably have four or five on deck. But um, the night before, I'll rig up six rods with what I think I'm going to throw and um, go from there. A normal tournament, I don't know, I would say at least a thousand casts. I mean, you're just constantly casting, you know, just covering water, or presenting your bait to the fish as much as possible give yourself the best chance to get those five fish in and then go from there. Um, How are you choosing what you're throwing on a given day? Time of year, you know, what the fish are eating, try to key into, you know, you always hear people say match the hatch, which is basically saying, you know, match what they're eating. If they're eating crawls, what color are the crawls? Um, Experience a lot of it. and other parts of it are just being out there and, and 
paying attention to the surroundings, you know, like springtime, you know, the fish are going to be on beds, well, getting ready to spawn and then being on beds, etc. And then, and just you know, the internet's a great tool too. Like, um, if you're going to a body of water, you never known because you know, you got YouTube nowadays and, and you can go on there and, and, and gain some knowledge from that, but you can't put all your faith in that because many fishermen will tell you it changes daily. You know, you could think it's this and it's something completely different yeah. and out of character, but, uh, you don't think it's at all nefarious. Some guys posting things that aren't necessarily true or some places that you know, may not exist. Yeah. That happens a lot too. Like in during weigh-ins, like if it's a two or three day tournament, you, I mean, you'll even hear the pros say when they weigh in, they'll, you know, Oh, what, what were you catching them on? You know, people always say a Cinco. It's yeah. just, they don't want to give up what they're catching them on. You know, everybody's got their own thing. Um, one of the things I've heard people say, and I kind of live by is, is fish. What, works for you um don't necessarily go to the body of water and you can read there but he says uh, throw a chatterbait black and blue with blah 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 trailer that might not be your thing if you're catching fish around the country throwing you know a swim bait then stick with that if that's your thing sometimes but i mean definitely switch it up if it's not working but kind of stick what what's in your wheelhouse and what works for you um that's a good point. I think that goes with any kind of fishing. And that's what I've learned is, um, you know, I have begun doing that kind of species around the world here in New Jersey and, and trying to catch as many species as possible, specifically on the fly rod. And um, I remember I was fishing a river, which I don't blow up spots, so I won't do that. And I was pike fishing and I got out of the water and I, I did okay. I caught a pike and was happy, caught a couple bass. I was very happy about that. And I got out of the water and the guy looks at me at the, at the dock and he goes, he goes, Oh, how'd you do today? I said, you know, I caught like a, I think it was like a 26 inch pike, which is fine. I, they do have some monsters in there, but I was happy. It was the first time I caught a Northern pike and he looks at my rod and he goes, you caught him on that. And I said, yeah. And he looks at closer and he looks at the fly and he goes, he goes, why did that work? You're just <laughs> you're like, well, it's, you know, I'm very comfortable with what it was I was throwing. And I was very comfortable at that point with, with my rod. Now I use predominantly a six weight for pretty much everything that I do fly fishing. Um, you know, of course, smaller streams, I use my Tenkara, but you know, I feel like my six weight is very strong and I can fish it very well with some of the, some of the, um, flies that I use. Yeah. I mean, look at somebody like David Dudley. I mean, uh, I think he's fishing the MLF right now. He's made over $4 million and, and you can guarantee every tournament he's thrown a Cinco. You know, he sticks to his strengths. I mean, he'll have tied on other baits that, you know, that, that match that time of the year, but predominantly his fish catches are coming on, you know, finesse fishing. He's made his living off that. It's, it's what works for him and yeah. goes with it. You know, it, it's, it, and you'll even hear, like I was watching Bassmasters um, a couple weeks, weeks ago and a guy named Frank Talley won it. And he was talking about his first year on the Elite Series and he was saying, that he would go to these lakes and, and, and throw what's expected to be thrown in these lakes. And he had a horrible rookie year. And, and then his second year where he, he came in and he's like, you know, I just fished to my strengths and he's been having a great year. And I, I think that's a big part of it, you know? Yeah. Well, let's say you literally said the same thing to me when I was asking you what I should be using. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of smallmouth bass fishing, of course, this, this summer, which is, 
it's so much fun. Um, and sure. I, I found it funny that, you know, you are supposed to use certain things like this one river I went to and I would go with my buddy Mark and everything you would read and everything he would say is like, you know, throw a Senko with, you know, something on it to, you know, really spark the bite. And I, you know, whenever I'd use my spinning rod, right, I would bring my ultra light, which, which I love using ultra light and getting the fight. But, you know, I, I found that it was, it didn't work for me. I do really well with rooster tails. I do really well with chatter baits and um, swimming baits. I, I always yeah. have fished them as long as I've lived in. That's ocean fishing. That's, you know, poppers. I, I live on poppers. As far as, I love poppers. Yeah, I love the topwater bite. It's just, there's nothing quite like it. Um, but I, outside of Florida, I've never had any luck with Senko fishing until you kind of showed me a few things and gave me a few tips. And then, you know, for those non-weedy bodies of water that we've fished, like I've done very well on it. Um, so I, I, I think, oh, I don't have the you know, patience for it. throwing away weightless Senko because it seems like it takes forever to me, but yeah, that's something a lot of people love to throw, you know. Uh, the first two events I ever fished were uh, Oneida Lake up in New York in the St. Lawrence River, and um, drop shot's huge up there. And at that time, I never threw a drop shot. I was more like used to swim baits, poppers, you know, chatter baits, moving baits. I was a, more of a power fisherman. Yeah. And uh, that was something new to me. So, you know, what I did this year, well, after those two events, you know, I was determined to learn the drop shot and master more finesse fishing, which um, once you master it, I mean, it, it puts a lot of fish in the boat. It really does. But, you know, that's something I didn't have before. And um, it, it, it's good. It's, yeah. it's really good. And I know, like, there's times where I, I've called you or messaged you after fishing, like when I went up to Lake George uh, this summer. And I brought the fly rod. I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to catch a, a salmon, landlocked salmon on the fly rod. It's going to be excellent. One of oh, my yeah. unicorn fish that I've been chasing here in New Jersey and just have had no luck. But I got up there, I casted for maybe an hour and I was like, man, I wish I brought my, <laughs> my finesse set up because it would have been perfect for it. And it, you know, I, I caught some rock bass, which was fun because it was on my target list for the year that I hadn't caught yet. Um, but I didn't nearly catch anything that I should have or the amounts because I know they were there and I could see the bait fish jumping. And when you really spend a lot of time on the water, for those of you who don't fish, it's like you start to notice these things, these like little movements, the way that the wind's moving, these little bait fish, the insects and, um, you, you've got to pay attention to it and it's all there right in front of you. It's um, actually kind of magical to watch, right? That's uh, the beauty. Yeah, that, that's one big thing, you know, you can't teach time in the water, you know, kind of trains your eyes. You'll, you'll key into things that you didn't see before. Like you said, you know, big right. fish, yeah, bluegills up in the beds, you know, it's just something you, you don't notice without time on the water. You know? And, I know that can be tough for some people with work and everything like that, but to me, in my opinion, a, a big part of proving your fishing is just getting out there and putting the time in, you know, like any other sport. Yeah. Fishing's a little different because, you know, you have other live species you're going after that has a mind of its own, which can make things tough, but 
that that time in the water really opens your eyes to things you know most people would miss that, that could key you into what those fish are eating or what they're doing it, it is it's, it's beautiful once you start seeing that you know it, it's eye-opening well I, so i obviously with the canoe it's been an interesting task especially fishing by myself on a on a two-person canoe but um even with the fish finder that I haven't set up yet and put on the boat yet, because I haven't quite figured out what I want to do with it or where I want to mount it. Um, you know, I took Donna fishing and my wife has been very patient with what, <laughs> with my antics over the past <laughs> couple months. Right. Um, but I, she, she's come bass fishing with me a number of times, but we were targeting, uh, of course, landlocked salmon again, and then lake trout, which weren't in season to keep, but I'm not a, you know, I'm a catch and release or catch photo release fisherman for the most part. Um, and we were up at this, up at this reservoir fishing here and you would get lost. If you didn't look for the signs, you would be completely lost as to what was going on on the water. I mean, it was breezy, which is always fun when you're in a self-powered uh, vehicle. And I, you know, it was my second time there. So I had a little bit of a lay of the land. I had a, you know, my, my map of the lake and I knew the depths, um, you know, where the ridge lines were and everything. And I said, okay, well, based upon research in the state of New Jersey, I don't know if Maryland does the same thing, but does a pretty good job at kind of explaining to you where to find fish and what to use to get them. Um, so we were, we were jigging, um, right along this ridge line that I was watching the, um, these big birds that they have there just kind of crash landing into the water every so often and diving after bait. And I said, okay, well, that's where we're headed. We're headed right along there because the bait fish are attracting these birds that are feeding on them. And sure enough, you know, I caught my first lake trout. Um, I was super excited, a nice 12 inch lake trout, beautiful, um, released without any issue. Uh, about five minutes later, I'm trying to fix a snag that I had in my line and, Donna's like, Michael, Michael. And I look over and her, her rod is just, you know, completely bent over. And she caught a 24 inch lake trout, this monster. And she goes, it's amazing that you can do this without knowing where they are. It's like, well, you don't really necessarily need the fish finder to do that. I mean, it helps. It helps a lot, but absolutely helps. But you, you know, you're not going to catch fish every time you go out. No. It's not going to happen. I, I mean, I, there might be some people who would disagree with me, but you know, I, I was trout fishing last week and I know there are fish there and I just couldn't match it for whatever reason, or they weren't biting because of weather patterns or some unseen unknown phenomenon us humans haven't quite figured out yet. Um, Fishing's very humbling. I mean, the best guys will go out and not catch fish on days. I mean, it happens to everybody. Yeah. You know, if somebody's telling you they're going out every day, catching fish every day, you know, that's, that's hard for me to believe because, you know, like I said, the best guys can go out in, in, in zero. You know, it's, it's even with all those fancy electronics, you know, they'll still zero. Um, yeah. I've seen guys who have panoptics and, and they'll get stuck on a spot where they'll see six huge marks and stay there for eight hours trying to catch those marks and not get them. You know, it's yeah. that's on the other side of those, those new fancy optics and all that, 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 you know, 
you could get locked into that. But the working birds, I mean, that's always a great sign. I know um, I used to rockfish a lot with my buddy Joe, and you know, all the rockfish guys were always looking for the birds working on the bait. It's the same thing in rivers, lakes. You know, yeah. you see those birds eating the bait. You know, where the bait is, the prey is going to be. You know, right. Bass, I always say if bass are larger, they'd basically be like a shark. They're they're so aggressive the way they eat it's insane you know and yeah. and the size they'll eat too you know I mean it's crazy absolutely crazy I caught probably one of the smallest bass I've ever caught in my entire life this summer and it was maybe an inch bigger than the lure I was using yeah it was amazing to watch just this thing demolished it and it fought like hell it was amazing um, to see. So my buddy Brennan lived in California for a while and, you know, you know, out West, there's a lot of guys with those real big swim baits and uh, he went out with this one time rock fishing. He had like a I don't know, eight inch swim bait and he was thrown out there and these rockfish, like six inch rockfish were attacking it and eating it. <laughs> it was crazy to see and the bait's bigger than them. Yeah. It's, it's fast, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll swipe it. Bait's bigger than them all the time. It's, it's, it's crazy how aggressive they are. It really is. That's really, yeah. You, know, you, you see those posts with guys posting these massive swim baits, and I always thought it was kind of just BS. Like, what could you possibly catch on that, or how do you even cast it? But yeah, you're right. I've, I've watched YouTube videos of guys catching them, and and it they catch them. I had a guy. I was fishing the local reservoir one time. And these guys were out there throwing them, and I said, "I said, are you guys catching a lot?" And he goes, "No, you know, we usually get one good one." throwing those big huge swim baits they're going for the the big yeah. the big one you know it, that's not something you would... just good not my thing but yeah they'll, they'll catch they'll catch them they definitely will well i was gonna say it, it kind of is reminds me of musky lures right like those massive things shiny all sorts of dangly things coming off of it and they're like 40 50 each to catch a monster musky and you're using the same thing to catch a, a bass that um and you've said it, they're, they're basically sharks of the fresh water. They'll, if they had teeth and they were bigger, they would probably take us down. Uh, yeah. No doubt. I have no yeah. doubt about that. Yeah. Um, all right. So let, let's um, stop here for a minute and uh, we'll be right back. All right. So that is part one of the Hacker Outdoors Man on a Boat episode one. Thank you for joining us for the past half hour. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, leave a comment. And we'd love to hear from you below. Give us a follow on Instagram at Hacker Outdoors and on YouTube at Hacker Brothers Adventures. And Joey McCormick can be found on Instagram at McCormick 81 I will put that down in the notes below. Um, once again, thank you guys for joining and see you next week.